Hello, my name is Diana Dirkby and I live with paranoid schizophrenia. You are listening to my podcast show, Schizophrenia as I Live It, and today's chapter is entitled Auditory Hallucinations. The soundbite you heard at the beginning is from Pastime with Good Company, composed by King Henry VIII and performed by the Chestnut Brass Company. A common symptom of schizophrenia is auditory hallucinations. Auditory hallucinations happen when you hear voices or noises that aren't there. The sounds you hear may seem real, but they're not. It's essential to include noises that are not imitating human speech. In other words, hearing voices is too restrictive albeit accurate in describing some auditory hallucinations. I will talk a little today of my experience. It is similar to the character Sarah in my book, where it is treated in more detail. Just to recall, uh, my book is called The Overlife, A Tale of Schizophrenia. During relapses of my paranoid schizophrenia, I have heard both voices and noises that were not real. Due to the stigma and misinformation strengthened by the entertainment media, many people have a scary image of someone with a mental illness acting on what imaginary voices tell them to do. None of the unreal voices, in quotation marks, I heard when struggling were commands to hurt someone. They were all commentary types, making fun of me and of my past and present actions. They fit into the paranoid aspect of my symptoms. They were not a call to act in any way and mainly caused me to be passively afraid. As with all of my schizophrenia symptoms, the voices only threatened me and no one else was in danger. People often quip that talking to yourself is the first sign of madness. This statement is absurd as everyone talks to themselves now and again. Having said that, holding a one-sided conversation has been a reaction to my auditory hallucinations. In the context of my schizophrenia, the auditory hallucinations have been so scary that sometimes the only non-medical relief I could get was by defending myself verbally. The conversation is one-sided to someone else, but to me, at the time of such symptoms, it's two-sided. Other types of noises from nowhere have also plagued me. For example, during one lousy episode with schizophrenia, I heard knocking in the attic that I believed was timed to what I was thinking. Therefore, it was also a commentary and had a negative, scary effect on me. What's more, our house at the time had no attic. Some worthwhile relief I had from such hallucinations 
was through medication adjustments and therapy. I found that writing down what I was experiencing helped a great deal, even if what I was writing didn't make much sense. Suppose you are dealing with someone undergoing auditory hallucinations. In that case, trying to convince them they only hear such things because they are mad is a conversation going nowhere. And it will only feel to them like yet another negative commentary. The philosophy of the LEAP method we discussed in another podcast chapter gives better advice. Try to get the person undergoing such hallucinations to relax and find you pleasant. Encourage them to share their experience. Listening to them puts you in no danger and can cause the struggling person to feel less alone and targeted. Convincing the person to seek treatment or tell their psychiatrist about their current episode is essential. Understand that someone isn't dangerous just because they hear noises and voices that aren't there. What they certainly are is afraid and they need kind and patient treatment. Once again, if you wish to know more about auditory hallucinations and schizophrenia, I refer you to Chapter 1 of E. Fuller Torrey's book, Surviving Schizophrenia, A Family Manual. For example, the section, Delusions and Hallucinations. I quote from that source to help explain what I experience. So this is a quote from E. Fulatori's book. Quote, It is important to realize that most delusions and hallucinations, as well as distortions of the body boundaries, are a direct outgrowth of over-acuteness of the senses and the brain's inability to interpret and respond appropriately to stimuli. In other words, most delusions and hallucinations are logical outgrowths of what the brain is experiencing. They are crazy only to the outsider. To the person experiencing them, they form part of a logical and coherent pattern, unquote. For all that the pattern may be logical and coherent, though it may take a while to sink in, I find that delusions and hallucinations that may at first seem normal and benign eventually terrify me. Part of that terror comes from the way people react out of stigma. Not only my senses are distorted, but many people's reactions seem distorted too and distinctly unfriendly, all adding to my paranoia. As E. Fuller Torrey describes in his book, the magnitude and frequency of auditory hallucinations can make life confusing and loud. They may be unreal, but my senses still have to cope with them. During a bad episode, the noises that aren't there gain confidence the longer they last. 
Several people, from Churchill to Peter Cook, are listed as having coined a phrase like, we learn from our mistakes and get to repeat them perfectly. I find that this quote fits well with the onset of a relapse. I do not gain more insight during a relapse from the relapses that have preceded it. This failure is especially true of the early stages of a relapse. That situation is frustrating for the people who know or love me and are trying to help me. It's only when I start improving through medication, therapy, and resting as much as possible that I can see a pattern that is repeating itself. This better stage brings with it a sudden spike in my objectivity that has in the past misled even my doctors. I am in fact only a bit better from the worst phase and my objectivity is more a mind game than a genuine sign of recovery. However, it does help me seek treatment and look after myself. Most of all, it helps me to be careful how I treat other people. So I can still be sick, but I am reaching for a recovery consensus even if that quest seems unnecessary or doomed to failure. Once people start to agree that I am doing better, I can gain a more sincere motivation to press on toward a genuine recovery. Again, for me, the most effective treatment is medication, therapy, and the friends and family that love me. That is some of my story and I am sure we'll talk about such matters again. Thank you for listening. Let's end by listening to a soundbite of Glenn Gould playing Bach's Chromatic Fantasy and Fugue in D minor, BWV 903A.